As David alluded to, we are launching a new series today, and I love the fact that you're either here in person or you're joining us online. And one of the exciting things that I've noticed with the technology and the availability of this live stream is each week I'm getting a chance to meet people as you're coming into the campus, coming on um, to join our worship. And I'm hearing a recurring theme now. Sometimes the first time I've met you, but you say, oh, we know who you are. We've been watching online. And I'm so grateful for that and way that grateful the way God's using that. If you haven't tapped into those resources yet, I encourage you to locate our YouTube channel. And I'd go ahead and suggest that you subscribe to that. That way you'll get the notifications every time we put out new material. But we are launching into this new series this week. And so I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible or your app to the Gospel of John. If you're in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them books, which is a little confusing if you're not familiar with the Bible because they're really documents that we have. And they've been placed into your New Testament in a certain order. And so this would be the fourth one. Just open up to John chapter 1. While you're finding that, I want to ask you, have you ever met somebody that totally changed who you are and how you viewed them after the meeting? When you have that, as we call this series, that face-to-face encounter? About a year or so ago, I had an opportunity, this is before COVID, and we put all kinds of masks on and everything else, the staff and I had a chance to go down to a conference for church leadership down in Austin. And we're attending this conference, and it's a one-day conference. It's a great, it's a great conference. And one of the things that made conference great was the fact that they served Chick-fil-A. Amen? Well, Chick-fil-A, come to find out, was sponsoring part of this conference. And we're on a break, and I'm standing there in the foyer talking to some other friends of mine that, that I know, and they were also at the conference. And I don't know why he chose me, but apparently he saw something in me. Because I get a tap on the shoulder, and I turn around, and I'm standing face-to-face with Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. And he has an ability to see something in people, I guess, because he saw something in me that perhaps I didn't even see in myself. And he looks at me, and he asks me a question I'm never going to forget. Can you tell me where the restroom is? I thought, this is my moment. I was created for this. With everything in me, I stand up, yes, sir, I can. And I didn't just point. No, I took him to the restroom. The whole time trying to think, now, how can I get free Chick-fil-A out of this? How, How can I transfer my good? So at the very end, here's the restroom, sir. He says, thank you. I say, my pleasure. (laughs) Actually, I'm making up the my pleasure part. I told the staff about my encounter with him, and they said, did you say my pleasure? And I said, no. So I went back and waited outside the restroom, and at that point it seemed like it had lost. But there is something about when you come face to face. And perhaps you've met somebody in your past where you're never going to forget the encounter. Or maybe it's not a person, but you came face to face with a truth 
And you had to own up to or accept this truth or it was going to impede how you developed, how your life moved forward. Maybe it was great news and you had to come face to face with the fact that you're about to be a parent. And from here on out, there's no going back to before you were a parent. Or maybe you had to come face to face with the fact that you said yes when he said, will you marry me? And now all the emotions that goes with that, and you're excited, but now you're weighing all that out. Or maybe it wasn't so great. Maybe you had to come face to face with what the medical test revealed. And now there's decisions to be made, there's, there's plans to be put in place, there's treatments to be considered. Or maybe you found out that you didn't make the team, and you thought, this is going to be my senior year. I'm going to make the team. There's times that we have to come face to face with things. And what I'm going to help us come grips with is over the length of the series is coming face to face with who God is. And having a real, personal, intimate encounter with who God is. So if you're in the Gospel of John... I'm going to just walk us through some parts of the very first chapter, which I believe this is what John's goal is. See, the books of the Bible didn't just fall out of the sky. They were written by men that we believe were inspired by God, so they're under His direction by what we call the Holy Spirit, by that third person of the Trinity. But at the same time, it's not that the man involved writing was just a recorder. He's actually writing with a purpose and with an intent. And he's an author in a book that he wants to do something in the world. And so what John is trying to do is he's introducing people into this person of Jesus. And then he's challenging us to ask the question, do you know him? Have you come face to face yet? So John 1.1, the very first verse, opens up this way. In the beginning. Now... If you're familiar with your Bible at all, perhaps you've heard those, those words, but you associate them with a different book of the Bible, Genesis. This is how the entire Bible begins. In the beginning, God created. And so John is very intentionally picking those words out because what's he, what he does is he wants to tie this whole story of Jesus into the entire story of what God's been doing. He's doing this with a very clear purpose. And we're going to discover that in just a second. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that seems like a strange thing to have next we, was the Word. This Word, you may not be aware of, but the Greek behind this is called the Logos. And it's where we get our word logo from. It's a symbol. If you think about a logo for a corporation, there's a symbol there. And as soon as you see the symbol... As soon as you see the representation, it tells you a lot about the company or the brand that's familiar with. And so in a picture or in just very few words, it tells you a whole lot. One of the most famous logos in the world is the Apple logo for the Apple company. It's on the back of iPhones, on the back of iMacs, it's on the back of iPads. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And all you have to do is see the logo... And it tells you a lot about the brand. And their people will 
proudly display the brand. That may not be your particular brand of choice, but you will display a brand, whether it be the kind of phone you choose to have, the kind of car you choose to drive, the sports team you choose to, to, to support. And so he's saying in the beginning was this word, this logos, and what he's saying is it represented something much bigger, much more universal, much more cosmic than that. And the Greek readers of this would have heard that word is they would have said it represents this truth. What's at the foundation of it all? What, what's the truth that you can hang on to? And so what he's about to do is he's about to connect this search for the truth into who God is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's building a case for Jesus. He was, and I'm going to jump down to verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, Jesus was present, the world did not recognize him. And so John now taps into the struggle that many of us have today is how do we see who God is? How, how do we recognize God in our midst? And if you're here today or you're online and you have doubts and you would consider yourself a, maybe a skeptic, this is a great Sunday for you because we're going to come right up on somebody that had questions and had doubts and we're going to see what John does to encourage them. So he goes on and he completes the story of Jesus. I'm in verse 14. The Word became flesh. So this is the idea of Jesus coming to earth. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only, the Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John, in that one sentence, John doesn't have a birth story about Jesus. Matthew and Luke both have a birth story about Jesus. And so that's the story that oftentimes, if you're looking for your Christmas decorations or the nativity scene, those come predominantly from Luke, some of it from, from Matthew. John doesn't include that, but this is how John is talking about Jesus being born. He says, the word became flesh, this idea, this idea of truth became flesh. It made us dwelling among us. He's saying God wrapped himself up in skin wrapped himself up in flesh, and came walking on the planet. This is an unbelievably unique claim by the Christian faith. This sets apart. And this is why I believe this series is going to be so important for us to come face-to-face with who God is. Because the Christian claim is this. It's not about how do I climb the mountain to get to God? What rituals must I go through? What practices must I um, incorporate in my life? What uh, systems of beliefs must I follow to get myself up to God? It's the story of God coming to earth and climbing down the mountain to be with us. God has moved into the neighborhood. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself, who is himself God as in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. John is being very clear. The Jesus that he's about to tell us about, 
that his entire book, his gospel, the life and ministry of Jesus that he's going to account for us, is the story of God. So, what John is laying out is the fact that truth, this word, this lowest truth, and we live in a world where we're still seeking truth today. There is a massive hunger for truth in our world today. What can you trust? Who can you trust? What wisdom is solid and is going to guide me throughout life? And what is simply the next trend on Twitter? It says that God has come in the person of Jesus and truth is not found in a set of teachings. It's found in a person. And so you may be here today and perhaps you're skeptical. Perhaps you've got questions and perhaps you've got doubts and that is fine. There are some great questions and there's some great things that we could talk about. But what I want to do is I want to lay out at least in this message today and they'll set up the foundation for the rest of our series, this idea that we can go and go through all your questions. And there's some great questions out there. There's some questions of whether or not the, you can believe the, the scriptures and the text and the documents that we have in the New Testament and the Old Testament. What, where did the Bible come from? And that's a great conversation to have. I fully believe they can be trusted, but I understand that there's questions that you might have. There's questions that people struggle with of why is there suffering in the world if God is so good? Why does good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? It all seems so random. There are some very serious questions. Can we believe in a God that seems like, as I read parts of the Old Testament, seems like it supports slavery? I've, I've had many conversations on that one. So I am not making fun of, I'm not trying to downplay your questions. I believe there's some great questions. But most of the time, in fact, I would risk saying always, when I'm in a conversation with somebody that's bringing up some questions or some skepticisms about can I follow God and who is God and is God worth following, and they have these critiques of God, or Christianity, I should say, the Christian faith, it seems to me, in my experience, that it almost always involves questions that are not dealing directly with who is Jesus. And I'm going to make the case through this series and through what John walks us through is that you've got to come face to face with Jesus first. You've got to wrestle with that, Him first. And before you handle any other questions... Do you believe he is who he says he is and that the tomb is empty? So here's my thesis statement. Your faith in God is tied to your willingness to come face to face with Jesus. Your faith in God is tied to your willingness to come face to face with Jesus. Reading your Bible is great. I highly recommend it. But you still have to come face to face with Jesus. Church attendance is wonderful. It's powerful. I think there's a, it's important to do. You still have to come face to face with Jesus. You can live a moral life by whatever standard you think is out there. You still have to come face to face with Jesus. A sustaining faith, the faith that's going to take you through all the questions and all the struggles and the challenges when life goes off the rails 
is only going to be formed the closer and more intimate you come to know who Jesus is. So throughout each of these Sundays, what I do is I'm going to walk through a particular encounter that somebody has with Jesus. And what I want you to understand is we look each week, each week, just like these faces up here seem to be everyday people, the encounters that we're going to look at is everyday people. They're not superstars. They didn't have a special spiritual gift that you don't have. They weren't extra faithful. They weren't extra pure, extra good. They were people. They had struggles. They had doubts. They had concerns. They had anxieties. They had worries. They had to face life just like you and I have to face life. And so what I want you to see most of all as we walk through these different people is that your story is this story. My story is this story. And we're going to have people that were far from Jesus. They hadn't hearkened the doors of a church their entire life. And yet Jesus still comes and has a face-to-face encounter with them. So, in the interest of our time today, let's jump into the very first one. Stay in chapter 1, but go to John verse 43. First John, I mean, John chapter 1, verse 43. Jesus is now beginning his ministry in this part. And he's going around and he's gathering what become his first disciples. If you're familiar with, there was a group of men called the disciples. There was 12 of them ultimately. This is where Jesus begins to recruit them. In verse 43, he's going to go and recruit, end up recruiting two people in particular. So, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, and this is two guys he'd already recruited, was from the town of Bethsaida. So he recruits Philip, and then verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is like the first evangelist. He runs out and he, Jesus says, Follow me. He gets excited. He's a guy that just doesn't have any doubts. I mean, he's all in. You know, from the word go. You know, you had me at hello, he's in. And he runs, and he's going to tell his, his Nathaniel this. And he's inviting Nathaniel. And he just starts pouring out. You know, we met him, and here he is. And, and he's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And I don't know if Nathaniel was with him or not up to that point. But when he hit that point, Nathaniel puts the brakes on. Nathaniel may be like you. He's got some doubts. He's got some critiques. He's got some questions. So look at his response. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So a modern translation is, pick the college that you hate the most, insert it into this, you know, blank, can anything good graduate from there? You know, I don't trust them. That's what he's done. He just, there's Nazareth's part where it was questionable, backwater, didn't believe anything. And if God's going to do anything, he's going to do it in lots of places, but it's not coming from Nazareth. <coughs> now, <coughs> he throws the questions at Philip. And Philip does something remarkable because it's so tempting to want to try to answer his questions. But look what Philip does. 
Come and see. And if you're following your Bibles, I want you to circle that. Come and see. <clears throat> Nathaniel comes, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now Nathaniel's back on his heels. How do you know me? I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Now he's all in. You said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very true, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When Nathanael first hears, he's a skeptic. He's got some questions. <clears throat> and oftentimes, I know for many of you, you, you want to share the story of what Jesus has done, and you want to share who Jesus is, but you're afraid of a question that's going to come back to you. Because I said, there's some legitimate questions out there. You're going to be worried about, well, what if they ask me about Old Testament textual criticism? What if they ask me about what appears to be slavery and maybe even polygamy in the Old, in the Old Testament? How, how do I deal with that one? What if they ask me about where did the dinosaurs come from in relationship to creation and how all that works in the history of the world? And, and I get it, but I want you to see what Philip did. Nathaniel fires a question right back at, at um, Philip, and it's a legitimate question. And Philip doesn't feel the need to try to address the question, he says, you got to come and see. Just, just come and see. And for Philip, <clears throat> all he wants to do is, if I can get you into the presence of Jesus, that's where I, I want you to be. <clears throat> we have a shorthand way of saying this. We've got what we call the triangle here. And maybe you've seen it where we talk about in Christ, with one another, on mission. And what we believe is that when you come, your best life is always going to be found in Christ, serving out a mission that's God designed and God designated for you, and learning to be in community with others. Well, this is that part of coming in Christ. Come and see. You may have all kinds of questions. Do not dis I do not discount those. But there's a part of this where you've got to come and step in towards God and see face to face who Jesus is and then your belief will begin to take off because what what happens to Nathaniel is is Jesus encounters and says yeah I've already seen you and he names the place where he was the day before and Nathaniel's impressed and Jesus tells him he says hang on you think that's impressive you're going to see some amazing things and as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Nathaniel began to see all kinds of incredible things, the miracles that Jesus did, and the lives that were transformed because of it. And so what Philip does for us is he gives us a model to reach out to others. It's simply an invite to come and see. Come and be, I, I can't answer all your questions. Your questions are good, but I want you to come and see. And so as you're talking to the person that you care about, your neighbor, the person you work with, a brother-in-law or sister-in-law, a mom or a dad, a child, whatever. It's not your job to answer every question about Jesus. 
That's not what God's called you to. It is your job to simply say, come and see. Because Jesus reveals himself in those moments, those opportunities. I was trying to think of a <clears throat> comparative way to tell this. And several, I grew up in Fort Worth. And when you grew up in Fort Worth, you kind of grew up in the shadow of Six Flags over Arlington. So my, oftentimes during the summer, we would go out to Six Flags. In fact, a couple summers, Mom decided that would be kind of our family vacation. We just spread it out across the summer, and we got season passes. And I thought we were high on the hog at that moment because Six Flags was the greatest amusement park in the entire world. So I thought, after I got married, one Christmas, Erica was trying to convince me, let's take the kids for Christmas, let's go to Disneyland. I was like, I've been to Six Flags. Why would we do that? You can ask her. I put up a lot of reason we shouldn't do it. She finally says, just come and see, okay? So she makes all the arrangements. <clears throat> We head to Disneyland. We're taking the kids in. I'm, I'm promising you, I wasn't 100 yards down Main Street, and I became a theme park snob in a second. Six Flags is gross. I couldn't believe my parents had abused me by taking me to Six Flags all those years. So... It wasn't that I hadn't heard of Disneyland. It wasn't that I didn't have lots of questions about Disneyland. It wasn't any of that stuff. I had to go and see. And suddenly, the world's changed. And you can ask my family. I became a Disney nerd real fast. Sold out. I mean, whatever. Here, take my money. That kind of deal. But it took me seeing. That's what we're doing all through the series, that's what I want to invite you to do, to come and be a part of what we're going to, and week by week, we're going to look at who Jesus is, and I'm going to invite you to come and see, and I want you to invite somebody to come and see, not because you have to have all the answers, but because you know that Jesus has done something in your life, and you want to invite somebody else into that, so I'm going to leave you with two questions, question number one is this, Who's been a Philip to you? Who's somebody in your life that you just couldn't ignore their excitement? You just couldn't ignore their faith, and they just kept saying, just come, just come, just come and see. And perhaps the more important question for you is this. Who can you be a Philip to this week? Who's someone in your circle of influence where you cross paths with that you can put a word in for Jesus and trust that Jesus will take it from there. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would come face to face with who you are and that through <clears throat> the words that John has written for us that you would reveal to us who Jesus is. And in that process, we would learn who you are. Father, I pray for each of us that have doubts and skeptics like Nathaniel. That we would not let our doubts stand in the way of coming face to face with Jesus. 
that we can bring all of our questions right to Him. That Jesus is big enough to handle whatever it is we wrestle with, whatever we struggle. So Father, I pray for each person now as you think of somebody that we love and you love too that's in our circle that we can put a word in for Jesus. We can share what he's done in our life. Not that we have all the answers, not that we know all the facts, not that we have all the scriptures memorized, but we do know what he's done for us, and we can be a testimony to that. Father, may you continue to reveal yourself. May you continue to help us see Jesus in a way that transforms us. So it's in his name that I pray. Amen.